Hi, everyone. This is Whitney Jennings, and you're listening to Minds Worth Meeting, a podcast by Stern Strategy Group. The business landscape is hyper-competitive, and thanks to technology, is changing at breakneck speed. Executives, directors, and managers are all looking to develop and implement the next innovative idea to differentiate their brand, drive growth, and build awareness for their companies. The problem is, they don't always know where to look or what strategic advice to follow. As a leading speakers bureau and communications agency, Stern Strategy Group has a direct plug to the world-renowned thought leaders, executives, and practitioners actively transforming the future of business across industries, disciplines, and the globe. Each season, our network of experts demystifies the rapid changes occurring in technology, marketing, strategy, healthcare, education, and much, much more. Whether you're looking for ways to improve your business model, reach new consumers, fine-tune your operations, or just make sense of artificial intelligence, you'll be privy to the insider knowledge shared in each episode. Amazingly, many of the lessons are just as applicable to your personal life as they are to your business. This is episode 22 of Minds Worth Meeting, and today you'll meet Kimberly Romalo, Vice President of Communications and Public Affairs at Lockheed Martin Rotary and Mission Systems. Kimberly is a mom and wife with nearly 25 years of communications experience. She is credited with developing programs that deliver a high return on investment, motivate employees, and increase awareness of the business. 15 years ago, women did not ask for things that they needed. It was just assumed that, you know what, if I'm going to be a mom, I'm not even going to look for that promotion or I'm not even going to try to advance in my career because I see my male colleagues and they don't leave at 6 o'clock to have dinner with their families. And, you know, again, we're doing it to ourselves. The agreements that we set with our employers are dictated by ourselves. And if you don't ask for something, you're never going to get it. And it's not that somebody doesn't want to give it to you. It's just they don't know that you want it. This episode is particularly special to me for a number of reasons. Kimberly and I had this conversation during Women's History Month, so there was this rainbow of hope that sat across my shoulders as she dropped all sorts of knowledge and experience about being a woman in corporate America. Right now, in this moment in time, Kimberly really brings to light that women have a major opportunity to change our narrative. She offers tips for demanding your seat at the table, overcoming the psychological barriers many of us have, and the importance of having mentors and advocates within and outside of your industry or company, and also the importance of networking. She also gives us the inside scoop as to how a major corporation like Lockheed Martin goes about nurturing their greatest asset, their human resources. Kimberly also has a message for men who want to see women at the top, so this is truly an episode for everyone. Before we get into our conversation, I want you to stop and share Minds Worth Meeting with your colleagues, friends, and family who are interested in learning about the latest research and trends that will help them grow their 21st century companies. If you're a regular listener, chances are you're that person in your network that people come to for smart ideas anyway. So consider Minds Worth Meeting a free gift of a competitive advantage. If nothing else, you'll look super smart for the recommendation. And with that, we'll get into our episode with Kimberly Romalo. Kimberly, welcome to Minds Worth Meeting. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So why don't we start by you telling our listeners a bit about who you are and what you do. Okay. Well, my name is Kimberly Romalo. 
Currently, I'm the Vice President of um, Communications and Public Affairs for Lockheed Martin's Rotary and Mission Systems business. And that business within Lockheed Martin is a pretty extensive one. We have 35,000 employees, we're about a $15 billion operation, and we are operating in, you know, over 100 countries. We, in fact, have 30% of our population that's outside of the U.S. So it is really challenging to be able to communicate and keep all the employees connected, you know, with each other and with our strategy. Um, but it's been, so far, really a great experience for me, and I think the team is, uh, you know, doing really great, uh, you know, supporting the organization communications. A little bit before that, I mean, prior to that, I worked at some global national companies. Um, you know, I worked at General Electric. I ran their water uh, communications business um, or communications for their water business. Um, I worked at Siemens, which is a huge German conglomerate, ran communications for uh, their largest organization here in the United States, which was their medical division. So uh, lots of great experience, um, you know, over the years and actually started my career in finance. So uh, oh, wow. an eight-year pharmaceutical company in finance, and then um, really made the change in my very late 20s to, uh, to communications. And ever since then, I've had the great opportunity to work at lots of companies, gained a lot of experience, and uh, ultimately brought me to where I am now at Lockheed Martin. And I've been here for just about eight years now. Fantastic. So your career in communication spans roughly 25 years. As you've mentioned, uh, for these various organizations, these industries are arguably male-dominated. What was it like as a woman to climb the executive ladder in those types of environments? Right. Well, so, you know, when you say arguably, it's it's not even, it's a fact. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know many of the companies that I've worked for, um, they just started out as male-dominated organizations. I mean, even when I worked at American Water, you know, when you think about how water, you know, people used to go to water and then transport to their homes. Well, actually, there were some really, you know, entrepreneurial men that said, why are we going to the water? Why not bring the water to us? And it was just men that just happened to do that. It was just the time when a lot of these businesses got started. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at Lockheed Martin, the company itself, the majority of its customers being in the defense, you know, serving the defense community, were males. I mean, you see that changing dramatically now, where you'll see, um, you know, senior leaders in many, in Navy, um, Marine Corps, you know, even in just, you know, general defense, you'll see starting to see more women and more people of color. It wasn't that way when we first started out. So it's been challenging, um, but I think there's also opportunities there. So walking into the room the first time, you know, as an executive or even as, you know, even just a director, just below really that senior executive level and around the table are a bunch of men, it does set you back a little and you think, well, you know, these people seem to be a little bit um, smarter than me. Maybe they have more experience in the industry. And I think you really start to question yourself or, you know, you're a little bit more timid than you might be in a, in a different type of, uh, you know, an environment. But um, I would say that there are also benefits to being a woman where a lot of uh, the folks, a lot of the, the gentlemen would either be married or maybe they'd have, you know, daughters and they might take a little bit of a more softer approach toward me. They'd still expect the same results, but they might be take a different approach in how they got it out of us. So I can say it was extremely intimidating. Um, it does help you find your voice and think about what kind of voice do you want to have and how do you want to show up and be present in those rooms? So, you know, now I really think about when do I want to speak and how do I want to speak? And, you know, I don't want to just reiterate what's been said. I want to bring something more valuable.
valuable to the table. Um, I want to take the seat at the table. That was a hard thing to do, you know, walking in and there's a bunch of men and there's one seat left and you know there's maybe three additional men behind you that are going to be entering that room. You know, finding the courage to actually take the seat at the table and to, uh, to, to have the courage to speak up. You know, um, I think every single one of us is getting paid not only to do our jobs, but also to share our perspective. Mm -hmm. So uh, it did take a while. Um, you know, actually, years ago when I worked at Stern and Associates, it was primarily a female. I don't think there was any men in the agency at the time, 15-person agency. So that was really very different when you're working in an all-female environment to a pretty much all-male environment. Um, so you're doing a lot of flexing of yourself and also a lot of soul-searching to remind yourself that you deserve to be there. Right. And and that takes me perfectly into my next question. Because you talk so often about the importance of women taking a seat at the table and using their voices effectively, this forces women to step out of their comfort zones. So what advice would you give women to help them break down that mental barrier of being timid um, and, and kind of sitting back? What would you tell them? You know, I think you just have to really understand that you might not be an expert in everything. So you're going to be sitting at a table with people that are going to have a lot of different experiences, maybe even more years experience in the particular industry that you're now working in, but they don't have the same experience that you have. Mm -hmm. And it is a constant reminder that I'm sitting at this table, and while I might not have 30 years experience in defense or any of the other industries that I worked in, I do have that many years experience in communications. And that's my area of expertise, and I'm going to share with them what my thoughts are in terms of how to engage employees, how to make sure that our customers look at us and they say that that's the preferred person that I want to work with or the preferred company that I want to work with, that investors are going to say, that's a company I have confidence in, and I want to invest in that company, and that you know our general public say they're a good corporate citizen. I mean, that's where my area of expertise comes in. And we really just have to ground ourselves to say we're not going to be all things to all people when we come into the business world. Um, it's great if you do have those experiences. It's great if you want to learn what your colleagues know, all good stuff. But at the end of the day, just know what you know and be confident in what you know and continue to perfect your trade. You know, communications has changed dramatically 25 years ago when I was you know, writing press releases and folding them up and mailing them out. Mm -hmm. We don't do that anymore, right. you know, and the borders were different. There was actually borders. Today, there's no borders in what we communicate. Employees get information. Shareholders get information. You know, the general public gets information at all from all different places, even if we're not targeting those places. So we have to be constant learners. And, and, and that's my advice. Be an expert in your trade and be confident that you are you know more at least about the area that you're supposed to you know know about your discipline uh, than anybody else that's fantastic those are some great tips okay so now that we've got a seat at the table what actions or mindsets do you recommend women incorporate into their daily routine so we're constantly learning um, yeah. We know that we're not an expert in everything, but we have our own expertise. What can we be telling ourselves on a daily basis to help right. us break down those barriers and those walls? Well, I think one of the misconceptions is that um, if you look at a senior leadership team and say there's 15 spots up there, if they see one or two women, um, women will look up and say, you know what, those two chairs are already uh, taken. 
um, they don't see themselves as having 15 opportunities. They see mm-hmm. themselves as only having the opportunities that they actually physically see a woman sitting in right. today. So I think we have to remind ourselves that every position is available to us. If we are credentialed, if we are, um, you know, delivering results, um, you can't fake it. You know, you could, everybody can fake it till they make it for like the early part of whatever job, because hopefully as we're growing, we are taking that stretch assignment that's just a little bit out of our reach. So we're continuing to grow and learn. You always want to do that. You want to get out of your comfort zone. Um, but just know that getting out of your comfort zone does give you some additional experiences and that anything is possible. Every single position is attainable. And I think that, you know, Marilyn Houston, our chairman, president, CEO, is just a perfect example of that. You know, um, she has done more for this organization than we've ever seen somebody who's held the helm in its probably 100-year history. And this was a, a, another, you know, woman that also said to herself, like many of us do, oh, well, I want to go for that role, but if I only have seven of the ten requirements, then I'm not qualified. Mm-hmm. You also have to not do that anymore, you know, because we know that a man would look at a job that he's interested in, see that there's ten requirements, and maybe he meets three of them, and he's still going to apply. And he's going to go in and say why he can do the job. Women need to do that as well. We need to get out of our own way and follow our dreams, and I think we can do it, but we are the ones that are stopping us. We are stopping us. Wow. Let me, let's talk about mentoring very quickly, because you mentioned that there were some um, former bosses in your, in your career that kind of took you under their wing. Is mentoring important, and as a follow-up, do women mentor and support each other in the workplace as they should? Right. Well, I don't know what the the should is. I would hope everybody is looking for each other's success because if your neighbor's successful, that means the company is successful Mm -hmm. and that means you're probably going to benefit from that success. So I would hope that everybody is thinking about how can we carry or help our neighbors. But uh, mentors are important. You know, mentors are the folks that are going to be giving you coaching, a safe place to share maybe a a challenge that you might be having, whether it's a leadership challenge or, you know, a struggle with figuring something out. So they'll be offering you guidance and coaching and advice throughout your career. But, you know, mentoring, as important as that is, I don't think is as, you know, necessary. What you really need is a champion. You need a sponsor, an advocate, somebody that's going to say, you know what? I believe in you. I've seen your work. I know that you can do a great job. I know that you're committed. I know that you're intelligent. Um, I'm going to help you champion your career through certain channels because organizations are very complex. There's a lot happening. You know, you need to travel in a certain circle and network with the right people. And, And I know that sounds maybe unfair, but the truth is if you're not given those big opportunities, if you're not given the chance to work on that important project, to have that exposure to senior leaders who are going to be making decisions about succession plans and who's going to be on them, mm-hmm. um, you need help to do it. If you don't have that help, it's going to be a little bit more challenging to get that opportunity. So I would say mentoring is great. I think that having all kinds of mentors, whether they're in your discipline or not, whether they're male, female, Really, you can gain a lot from a lot of folks, but really looking for an advocate, somebody that will say, when you're in, when I, when I'm in this room, I'm going to make sure I bring you up. Or when somebody is talking about a 
project that had happened that was successful, I'm going to make sure that they know you were part of that. You know, when it comes time to present a really good idea, I'm going to make sure that I said this person or that you were the one that gave that idea because that's really important. And then that person starts to have become like a known entity. And not saying that you're going to get every single opportunity. We're not going to, you know, that's not going to necessarily happen, but it's going to make your chances a little bit um, stronger. More, more possibilities can, you know, doors can be opened for you. And then when you asked about, you know, should women be doing more? Mm-hmm. Well, if women are thinking that out of the 14 chairs or 15 chairs, there's only two seats at the table, some of them are going to be apprehensive because they say if you get there, then that means there's no room for me. So I think if we could change the mindset that there doesn't have to be only if we can eliminate the idea that there's only this many women or there's only that many chairs for women or even people of color, then you start to change the narrative. And then people, I think, would be more willing to help their neighbor or help somebody else grow and learn and give them the opportunity. You know, because even in the chair that I sit in today, um, I don't always have to give the exposure to my my, you know, the folks that are working for me, my leadership team, or even people down the, the road, but I don't feel particularly threatened by them. I feel like, you know what, if they're doing well, that tells my organization that I picked the right people, that I have them succession ready, that I'm giving them the necessary skills to be more of a benefit to Lockheed Martin and to the company, you know, to me and to my department. So I see that as a positive, but not everybody does. And And you can tell who's pushing their people forward and who's just sort of, I don't want to call them glory hogs, that are just taking the credit for everything that happens on their team. You can tell. In that same uh, in that same vein, the 2018 Women in the Workplace study found that only one in five C-suite leaders is a woman and only one in 25 is a woman of color. Right. How, how do you support those efforts internally at Lockheed Martin? Well, I'll tell you, Lockheed Martin has a very strong affinity groups. We make major investments in ensuring that people are feeling included and that they feel they belong to this company. So I know a lot of companies do have affinity groups. Marilyn Houston actually speaks to all of our employee resource groups. They have annual forums. She goes and addresses them for about 45 minutes. So she has some prepared marks. She talks with them about the importance of inclusion. She takes Q's and A's. Um, So it comes right from the top in terms of understanding the importance of this. You know, Lockheed Martin has three things that we tell you you need to do. It's, you know, and, and, and that really is the foundation for every single thing we do. So it's act with integrity, it's your performance, you know, performing with excellence, and making sure that we're respecting each other. And every single employee knows that. And, and that is the foundation for what the company, you know, how the company operates. So we really do look for lots of opportunities to give folks exposure Marilyn is very heavily involved, and the rest of us at Lockheed Martin, we have really clear succession plans. We work extremely hard to make sure that we're giving um, opportunities to females and to people of color to make sure that we are growing their careers and, and advancing them. So I think that we've got a lot of structure behind ensuring this happens, but um, I would say that what we're all doing personally at the leadership level is becoming more involved and in showing our support for, um, you know, beyond, I want to just say that, you know, the white males, um, not that they don't have a place in the organization because they absolutely do, um, but we're really trying to position those folks more as allies 
and ensuring that we are partnering folks up so they can be championed. Um, I happen to run the women's community at Lockheed Martin with Gaya Campbell, who's my co-chair, and we just presented to our, we have an executive inclusion council. Marilyn chairs that council. It meets quarterly to talk about how can we make sure we have an inclusive work environment. And uh, Gaya and I talked with them about really setting up a more formal sponsorship program across the enterprise so that not only do we have the succession plans, but we are actually putting into um, place real sponsors that can champion uh, individuals through their careers at Lockheed Martin and make those opportunities available. So, you know, I think it's a combination of having structure and rigor around a process, mm -hmm. but also creating an environment where it naturally happens. While we're focusing on increasing women in, in, in the workforce and in, in, in these positions of leadership, what can men and women do to help more women? Well, I, I, I heard this really staggering statistic, and I haven't looked it up because I have to really look it up because it was really interesting. At International Women's Day a few weeks ago, one of the women on the panel said that in meetings, women are interrupted 66% of the time. Oh, my goodness. And that, I believe and that. that. Men, <laughs> yeah, and that men are interrupted less than 1% of the time. Wow. So I think we could start by making sure we're not interrupting the women. <laughs> That's probably number one. Um, I also think we have to um, make sure there are some checks and balances personally where it comes time to do um, you know our performance ratings and evaluation of performance that we aren't just giving the good ratings to people like us that when the hard job comes we're not just giving them going to that same well of individuals that we feel comfortable with so I think unconscious bias is extremely prevalent um, anybody who says it doesn't exist is probably not being honest with themselves I know for me personally, um, I'm actually just getting ready to go through interviews for my admin, and I know how I personally am. You know, regardless of what you look look like or anything like that, male, female, there is a certain connection that I could feel with somebody. So if I sit down with somebody and I feel like, wow, we're really jiving, this is great, I don't even ask them any more questions. I just think, I like this person, I want to, I want to be around this person. And next thing you know, I might hire them, but they not, might not be the right person. And it might not just be for me, it might not be the right fit for them, because I haven't taken the time to ask them the right questions to determine if that fit is really there for both of us. So I actually extend out my all my interviews, and I include a lot of other people, just to make sure that it isn't just my own bias in terms of feeling comfortable with somebody, or maybe somebody shared a personal story that resonated with me. Um, and I think all of us have to do that. Um, I, you know, there's a lot of other things. We've read a lot of studies that say when, when you are interviewing for roles, to remove the names. And it's been found, and I think it, I don't know if it was in the McKenzie study or another study, I feel like it might have been McKenzie though, that said that if you're, by removing the names, you give everybody equal opportunity because sometimes when somebody's looking at a resume and they see a Joe versus a Joanne, they might be more favorable towards that Joe, even if all the experience is the same. Um, it's just very interesting, and it's just right now we know that more men are in leadership roles, and they might be just migrating more towards what they know, and it's unconscious. I don't believe anybody wakes up in the morning and says, all I'm going to do is you know, support the people that are exactly like me. I don't think anybody does that. Mm -hmm. I think that you do have a natural comfort zone, and people, human beings, the whole animal kingdom, <laughs> wants to feel comfortable. 
so they're going to be with like people, and that's a real problem because as you look at the changing environment, our, our landscape, people that are going to be into the, in the workforce, and you want every single company to look like the, the people, the consumers, or the communities where they're going to be operating. Right. And if you don't look like that, that's going to be a real disadvantage for you. That's good. That's good. So how are female leaders, the ones that are on the front lines of progress in business and across industries, how are they best using their platforms to revolutionize the future of work for women and generations to come? What are they doing right? Well, I think some of the things that women are doing right is they're actually being honest about what they, what they want and they're being honest about who they are. And that's really where it starts. Because if women are coming into the workplace, and let's just say they are either, you know, in a, in a serious relationship, somehow maybe they're married, maybe they have children, maybe they're taking care of elderly parents, whatever their circumstances are, if they're being honest about it, especially at the executive level, and they are being able to achieve everything that they want, both professionally and personally, that opens the doors for others to be honest about what their needs are. And the more people that are honest about what they need to be successful and to bring their whole selves to work, that's gonna really dictate what companies are going to allow them to do, whether it's flexible working environments, whether it's mother's rooms, if you're a nursing mom, whether it's parking that's for you know um, pregnant folks, whether it's hygiene products in the bathrooms, whatever it is, whatever the things that women need, they have to ask for them. And I can tell you, Fifteen years ago, women did not ask for things that they needed. It was just assumed that, you know what, if I'm going to be a mom, I'm not even going to look for that promotion or I'm not even going to try to to, to um, advance in my career because I see my male colleagues and they don't leave at 6 o'clock to have dinner with their families. And, you know, again, we're, we're doing it to ourselves. The agreements that we set with our employers are dictated by ourselves. And if you don't ask for something, you're never going to get it. And it's not that somebody doesn't want to give it to you. It's just they don't know that you want it. Mm -hmm. So I think what I see more and more women doing is telling their story, whether you know, whatever that story may be. And I think it is helpful. And I feel like in some ways a lot of my female colleagues and a lot of folks that I've, you know, relationships that I have, professional relationships with women outside of Lockheed Martin, they resonate a lot to me and they ask me a lot of advice about how do you have everything because I do talk about having it all. I mean, I wish everybody could wake up in the morning and feel exactly like me, that they have a great job, a great husband, healthy kids that are doing well, um, that I can be able to go to my kids' softball games or basketball games or concerts and still have a really high-powered job that is meaningful and grow my career at Lockheed Martin. And that is, it takes courage to do that too, because every time you put yourself out there, you're... You take a chance that somebody doesn't like who you are or what you're saying. But um, I do think that that's the thing that I see more and more women doing. And I see more and more next generation of executive, female executive, really resonating with that honesty. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, some men. I mean, I've had several men that have worked for me that have requested paternity leave. And to be honest, the first time someone asked me for paternity leave, I was like, huh? And I looked at them like, you know, like your dog might look confused. And I was like, okay, let, listen, um, let me start over. I'm going <laughs> to turn around. I'm going to come back and ask me that again. And then I was fine. It was great. And he understood what, why my reaction was that way. And we sort of laughed about it. And I tell that story a lot because it's okay to not understand. 
it's okay to be confused because that's not your norm. If you have the conversation about it, then it becomes the norm. So then the next couple of times since then, of course, I didn't have that reaction. Right. My reaction was I have a lot of experience with somebody doing this. What are your ideas? Here are some of the ideas that work for this other individual. And then you're part of a solution. That's great. You were recently the recipient of the Alice Paul Equality Award for Empowerment. Congratulations. Thank you. What does empowerment mean to you? And what does it look like in your day-to-day interactions with your teams? You know, being empowered is, is really, for me, is to have permission to use your own experiences and expertise and um, judgment to do the things that you want to do, <laughs> you know. Um, empowerment is not, you know, not giving information. That is not empowerment. I tell my team that a lot. Like, you guys are empowered to do what you need to do, but, you, you know, you have to at least inform me, <laughs> give me a heads up of what's happening so that I can be an advocate for the work or the ideas that you're doing. So for me, it's just having the confidence, the faith in your own good judgment, and your own expertise to make decisions um, period, without asking permission. And, you know, when I think about my day-to-day, I am empowered to do pretty much everything, right, from the time I show up into the office in the morning to the time that I exit the office to the meetings that I'm holding to the amount of, um, you know, autonomy I give to my teams, the teammates, um, to the things that I need to know or things that I don't need to know. So I think about it every day, all day. If I believe in empowerment and I want to be empowered, I have to release the reins for the folks that are in my organization. But again, that doesn't tell them, just go and do anything that you want and don't inform me because the information is really key. And when we talk about kind of being a sponsor and having champions and advocates for your ideas, if I don't know, then I can't champion you. Mm-hmm. So I think that sometimes people confuse empowerment with autonomy because they aren't really the same, you know, and it doesn't mean that you never tell your managers or you never tell your organization what you're working on or why you're doing it because it is the why that's most important. I'm doing this and here's the reason why. This was my thought process behind that and empowerment means you've thought through all of that and now you can run with it and then inform me, hey, this is what I'm doing in case you want to know why I'm doing it and these are the results I expect to get out of this decision that I'm making. That's empowerment, and you have to earn it exactly that way. You can't just fly by the seat of your pants and do whatever you want. There has to be critical thought and strategic thinking behind the decision. But it was really great to uh, to get that award, and you know, my family was there, in particular my daughter, and you know, she's all about equality, and she's all about you know, righting the wrongs in the world. Yeah. If somebody's doing something wrong to people, she's going to be the first one to say, that wasn't nice, and you know, you, would, you treated that person that way, but you're, you don't treat the same, this other person the same way, and she's really funny to hear her stories at the end of the day, and I'm lucky to be able to have dinner with my family every night that I don't travel, because I'm empowered to do that to make sure I make it home for dinner at night. So uh, it was a a great event. Had a lot of great supporters in the audience. That was really excellent. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, as we round out uh, our chat here, last question, what do you wish people asked you about your work that they never do? I don't know. (laughs) I know it's a tough one. (laughs) You know, it's really funny because being in communication, there is so much power that we have, right? Because we're the keepers of everything. Right. Whatever employees want to know, 
whatever the media, general public, anybody, you know, we are the keepers of that. We actually decide who knows what and when. And I think there's something really interesting about that. What's on the, the flip side of that is, though, I don't want people to think it's not authentic because even though I might make a recommendation for one of the execs here, what they should share with an employee or how they should talk with a reporter or what should be in their speech, I always want it to come from a place of authenticity. Um, and that's really important because I think being a credible, authentic leader is hugely important and required for people to follow you. Um, and if they don't have it, they don't feel like you're being authentic, then they just will be like, ah, you know, this is just a job to me. This person hasn't earned it. And I, I would want our executives to earn that discretionary effort from employees. So I don't think anybody really understands what it is that me and my team do. But sometimes I don't know if I want them to know because I don't want them to put have the perception that it's inauthentic, <laughs> you know, that it's not authentic what we do or that when, you know, any of our executives are out there talking that it's, you know, they're just talking pieces because they're not talking. They're not just talking heads that we're feeding information. It is a collaboration. You know, we are we are opening doors for them to share their story and helping them identify the way that it would most resonate, you know, best with those audiences, whether they be internal or external or whatever level of the employee might be or whichever type of media or the association. So I don't know if that helps you, but I, I was just thinking about that when my son was asking me this week. He's like, what do you do every day? I'm like, physically? Like, what do I do? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, and I started, I had to pause a little and I started talking to him a little bit about that. But after I said it, I didn't want them to think that we're just spin doctors, you know, because that's not what it's about. It's really about protecting the reputation of the company because this company does great things. Without a company like Lockheed Martin, I mean, we are protecting the freedoms of every single American and our allies. That is a huge responsibility. And we are very serious and very authentic about what we do. Like, we are very mission-focused. And I would never want somebody to think that because you've got these communicators, everything is, you know, whatever, packaged in such a way that it's just to tell a good story and not really coming from a place of authenticity. That's great. That's fantastic. So tell our listeners where they can find you online, on social media, what can they type in to find you? Well, Kimberly Romalo, you will come. Everything will come up from there, from the old Forbes blogs that I used to do years ago to my LinkedIn profile. And I did have two LinkedIn profiles, but I would only look at the Kimberly Romalo one. I do a little bit of tweeting, following news, but if you really want to read more about me or learn more about me, I would say it's through the LinkedIn page. Many thanks to Kimberly Romalo for this enlightening conversation. I hope it gives women everywhere the confidence to take that seat at the table, whether someone who looks like us is already there or not. And thank you listeners for hanging out with me today. We absolutely appreciate your tuning in. Find Kimberly Romalo on Twitter at Kimberly Romalo, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-Y-R-A-M-A-L-H-O and on LinkedIn. Do you have colleagues or business people who are interested in learning more about the latest research and trends that will help them rethink their business models or their purpose? What about non-business folks who are just curious about innovative thinking? 
I'm sure the answer is yes to at least one of those questions. So please introduce your network to Mindsworth Meeting. Thanks to our listeners, Mindsworth Meeting has grown over the last couple of years. And for that, we are eternally grateful. For the new folks, if you haven't yet subscribed to Mindsworth Meeting or left us a review on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play, please do that if you enjoyed the episode. Reviews help us spread the Mindsworth Meeting message even further. Most of all, we want to hear from our listeners. If there are topics or industries you're most interested in learning about that you haven't heard on the show or that you want to hear more of, send an email to mindsworthmeeting at sternstrategy.com or reach out to us on any of our social media platforms. And make sure to subscribe so you are the first to know about new episodes. Follow us on Twitter at Stern Strategy and at Stern Speakers. And follow Stern Strategy Group on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks again for listening to Minds Worth Meeting. I'm your host, Whitney Jennings. Until next time.